Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. People of faith are frequently misunderstood by their culture. It's nothing new. It's always been that way. Anywhere from back in the early days of the church when the rumor spread that every Sunday they would meet together and, uh, and practice cannibalism because they were eating the flesh and drinking blood. Well, it was a reference to the Lord's Supper where he said, take this juice. And, you know, when you do, remember that it's like my blood that was shed for you. And, and eat this bread. And when you do, remember that I've given my body for you. So yeah, people have always been misunderstood for their faith. Sometimes though, those misunderstandings start to look like this. Being a Christian, they think, means that you have to live a perfect, squeaky clean life. You came to the wrong place this morning if you're looking for that. Sometimes people are misunderstand what it means to be a Christian because they think that being a Christian means that you have to live a monk-like life in a monastery where we're just sequestered away in, in some cave someplace or, or some castle or cathedral and we're all protected and safe but we're also unplugged from the world. And there's times when being unplugged sounds familiar and pretty enticing. Like when your mom texts you and says, hey, what's your word for the year? And you're not ready for it. <laughs> but consequently, our culture also concludes that trying to live a life of faith means if you have to be sequestered away and unplugged, you're out of touch. And there's no relevance of faith for real life. And if that's the goal of being a Christian, if that's the goal of being a mature Christian is to be so removed from, from culture and life that, that you don't have any influence in it, well, you've probably missed what Jesus was talking about when he said, I want you to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Believers have always had to live out their faith in real life scenarios. They live their faith in <coughs> metropolitan cities like Ephesus and Corinth, and although that may not say anything to us now, then they were cultural centers at their time. Their politics and their lifestyle then, much like now, were driven by things like money, and they were saturated with immorality and sex and the occult. The itinerary of the Apostle Paul read like a world traveler it was like he sold everything and, and determined to just travel the world, except instead of like many today who quit their job and sell their house and, and, and buy a school bus and turn it into a, a traveling RV, he, he traveled the world of his time in Athens and Jerusalem and Cyprus and Rome, but for one purpose, not to see the sights and take selfies everywhere, but it was because of his faith. And yet because of his faith, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was lost at sea and given up on, he faced dangers of thieves and, and faced being left for dead a number of different times, all because people didn't understand how faith fit into their culture. 
For the most part, he lived his life as an entrepreneur, trying to support himself financially. And for those of you who find yourselves in that same boat where you're just trying to make your way in your own terms, you understand what he knew of how vulnerable you are of maintaining credibility and a reputation in a community that you're trying to do business in. He also knew the heartache that comes when people spread lies about your motives and your purpose for being there. People of faith had to live what they believed about God in spite of family drama, too. I mean, that's nothing new. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those names are at least familiar names, whether you've been in church much or not. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all struggled with integrity in their marriage and heartache with their kids. Despite his best efforts, Joseph was always getting sucked into more and more family drama. Well, if it wasn't his family drama, it was somebody else's family drama. David knew about starting at the bottom and working his way up the ladder of success. Solomon experienced the challenge of an easy life, a life of unparalleled wealth and emptiness that he still felt when left without God. It's always been a challenge throughout the ages to live a life of faith in the real world. Now some resist acknowledging the emptiness of their life without God. They just say, well, I just don't feel a need for God. I don't feel a need for church. You know, congratulations, you're here, you, yay. But are you living a life of faith? See, these are the same people who don't feel a need for God, they say, that know something's missing, and they're searching desperately for anything to fill that void in their life. It's the next vacation. It's the next promotion. It's the next vehicle that they buy. It's the next house. It's the next vacation home. It's the next boat. It's the next marriage. It's, there's always something next that's going to fill that void that they're convinced that's there. And so they search for more degrees and, and different relationships, greater experiences that leave them on the wow factor of a mountaintop, or if no matter what they do, they just can't find the answer for that, they turn to drugs to try to numb them from feeling the despair of not having any of that in their life. Faith in God. Faith in God, some would say, is just a crutch, an excuse that they use to get through life. And yeah, they're kind of quoting somebody, you may have at least heard his name, is Sigmund Freud. He wrote a book called The Future of an Illusion, and it was in that book that he said, God didn't create man, man created God by wishing for a father figure to protect us from our fears. And he discounted the whole thing. Karl Marx, another famous person of history, would make this observation about religion. It's the opiate of the masses, keeping ordinary people pacified while the rich and powerful exploit them for themselves. 
but it goes into our universities as well, in the world of academia, because of a quote that was seen in the University of Iowa, not New York City or Chicago or San Francisco, in Iowa of all places, where this comment was made in a student editorial of their newspaper. Whenever I hear someone speak of sin or God, I just want to scream, wake up, dummy. God, Allah, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, they're all just the same, imaginary. Organized religion is the root of all evil, and the sooner that people realize it, the better their lives will be. Yay, Iowa. But that's what our culture thinks about people who try to live a life of faith. Somehow in the middle of all that, as believers in God and as followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to challenge the false assumptions of our culture. Because they're just faulty assumptions. For example, one of them that's very common is this. A false assumption of our culture is that if you live by Christian values, you're just not going to make it in the real world. You just, you can't succeed, you can't get ahead. And yet there are numerous autobiographies and interviews that actually prove the contrary to this is true. You can live a life of faith and have success. NFL Hall of Fame inductee Anthony Munoz, probably the last great Bengal player. <sighs> what is he, 85 now? That's how long it's been since the Bengals were relevant. But Anthony Munoz was highly respected for this reason, his faith and his integrity. You may or may not have heard of a guy named Lowell Paxson. He went by the nickname Bud. Kind of reminds me of the old Cosby show, you know, the neighbor kid, Bud. Bud Paxton was co-founder, though, of the Home Shopping Network. And who of us hasn't spent a night of insomnia watching that every now and then? He later established Pax TV that became focused on the content for family. And he made this observation. Each of us has three threads of life that we need to get through the needle's eye. The career thread, the spiritual thread, and the family thread. I think you got pretty close to being accurate, don't you? Because if we don't get the career thread, the spiritual thread, and the family thread somehow all tied together, we're still going to end up feeling empty and meaningless in life. So... Maybe, just maybe, we need to re-clarify what success is. I mean, there was a guy named Job who received God's approval, and yet he experienced temporary loss of family, wealth, and health. John the Baptist was beheaded. Jesus, you may have heard of him, ended up being crucified, publicly humiliated, hung naked, suspended on a cross for everyone to walk by and, and, and mock him. Yeah, you claim to be the Son of God. And yet, he, like John the Baptist, both had God's approval in their life. It really is reminiscent of this, as indicated in Hebrews chapter 11. All of them had great faith. It starts out in verse 33. They did what was right 
and God helped them in the ways that he promised. And I just want to take a moment here and share about some of the conversation I've had with Kirk and Jane. After you've tried everything you can think of, after you've gone to all the doctors, you've tried the surgeries, you've been on antibiotics for months, you've had the elders come pray over you, and they still need to amputate your foot. Our culture would say, well, where'd your faith get you? What good is that? As Hebrews 11 said, these people had great faith and they did what was right. And God helped them, just like he promised. And it deals in real life scenarios. It says they were laughed at, they were scorned, they were beaten, others were put into prison, they were killed with stones, they were cut in half, they were killed with swords, they were poor, persecuted, and treated badly by others. The world was not good enough for these great people. Yeah, you've definitely got to reclassify success if you look at this result and still can look in the mirror and say, God thinks I've lived a great life. But he was pleased with all of them because of their faith. Here's another thing. Christians believe in God to find comfort. That's the assumption that our culture makes. Well, there's no argument that God is a source of comfort for those of us who trust him. I mean, Isaiah 40, verse 29 says it this way. He gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Have you not felt just exhausted? And we're not even through January yet. He gives strength to those who are weary. And when you feel like you're just completely drained and don't have what it takes to take that next step, maybe because of culture, maybe because of the way that you're being treated in culture, faith in the real world looks at that and faith in the real world says, God will give you the power that you need in your weakness. So much so that one of them would even say, when I am weak is when I am strong. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 1, the Father is a merciful God who always gives us comfort. He comforts us when we're in trouble so that we can share that same comfort with others in trouble. Yeah, it's true. Believers in God know that God is a source of comfort, but believers in God also know the Bible say, what the Bible says about that same God who comforts us and gives us mercy, he's also the same God who holds us accountable. I mean, in Psalm 139, it describes a God who is an all-knowing presence in life. If I go to the east, you're there. If I go to the west, you're there. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you're there. You're everywhere. For some people in our culture, it sounds like he's paranoid. But he's just realistic that anywhere we find ourselves, we are in the presence of God. That's why in Hebrews 4.13, he comes to this conclusion, nothing that God created is hidden from him. His eyes see everything. He will hold us responsible for everything 
we do. Now seriously, if we were going to create a God, why would you create a God who's going to hold you accountable for everything you've done? That's just dumb. Why not create a God who is more like Santa Claus? Why not create a God who's more like somebody who's just going to be like that grandpa in a rocking chair on the front porch, you know, and slap you on the back when you come on up. Come on, boy, have a seat. Let me tell you a story. Yeah, let's get some ice cream. That's the kind of God we'd probably create if we wanted. But Christians don't just create a God who makes them feel good. Christians also accept the authority of that God to rule our life. Instead of wishing God into existence, most people try to wish God out of existence. They're not searching for a reason to believe. They're searching for a reason to deny the evidence of everything in creation that points to a creator God. Because if there's a God, then they know they have to someday accept the idea that they'll be accountable to that God. Oh yeah, they may not have murdered anybody. They may not beat their wife or you know, cheat on their husband or you know, big stuff like that. But he holds us accountable as well for our lousy attitudes. For our misplaced priorities that are self-serving. For the way that we speak poorly of others. For the way that we refuse to love like God loves us. For while we were yet sinners, he so loved us that he gave his son to die for us. Hmm. Here's a third uh, assumption that's false that our culture frequently makes. And that is that the Christian life is boring. You're going to get no argument from me. Some Christians have bore the snot out of you. I mean, they just... They just and, and, and some worship services are just painful and awful. I mean, the best thing you can hope for is that you come away after church rested. I get that. I've been there. I've sat in that pew. Some lives are small and boring. And it's got nothing to do with their faith. As a matter of fact, it's, that's the problem. Their lives are small and boring because they've separated faith from their life. To live a life modeled after the teaching of Jesus is definitely not the easy way out. To live a life modeled after the lifestyle of Jesus is going to be a huge challenge. Have you not heard of turn the other cheek? It takes courage to follow the road less traveled that Jesus walked on and to commit ourselves to a life that considers the needs of others before our own. It takes courage to live a life of commitment, of self-controlled discipline instead of just doing whatever feels good at the time. 
Jesus would have challenged his followers with these words to take up our cross and follow him every single day. Let me tell you, there's a big difference between a cross and a crutch. Christianity is not a crutch. It's a cross to be carried as we follow him. The reality is just this. Some people are just boring people. And some people are always going to be bored by life no matter what you do. Christians believe that God is always at work, no matter what, to help us change, to help us be transformed by His Spirit within us so that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. And that is never, ever boring. It'll push you every single time to be more like Jesus and less like who you've always been before. I mean, imagine this. It, it's funny. I, I, one of my daughters, I guess. Well, one of my two daughters. You, you watch her walk from behind. She walks just like my mom. It, it, you know, I, I, I don't even know if I could imitate it or not. But she's got exactly the same gait. And you look at it and you think, wow, look at that, it's genetics. You, you look at some of the, the generations of kids and grandkids, and you're just thinking, oh, I'm sorry. You look just like your grandfather. <laughs> you know? That's... People are who their genetics are. They are, you know, the, a, a reflection of the environment they're raised in. But God calls us to be more than that. God calls us to be different than who your mama raised you to be. He calls you to be who Jesus was. God doesn't just want you to have the same characteristics of your dad. He doesn't want you to have the same temper fuse that your dad had. He wants you to have the patience of God himself. And he'll give you what you need, both in opportunity to practice that, but also spirit within to enable that to happen. You just have to be willing to yield to his will instead of your impulse. Christians believe that because of God, we have a reason for hope. David, why don't you and a praise team join me back on stage? You see, the reality is this. People lose hope because they've had to survive without getting what they need from others. They've been victims of people that were abusive and dysfunctional. You know the neighborhoods you grew up in. You know the people that meet at your family reunions and, and at Christmas gatherings. You know how sometimes you wish that any anybody could have had your family but you. What they really need is to experience the love of Christ, the encouragement of God, and the strength of His Spirit within. Now more than ever, people need to hear the reason that we have for hope is because of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus, a man that God sent as his messenger to die a sacrificial death for us while we were still sinners. 
so that we could receive God's grace, so that we could receive God's mercy, so that we could receive God's forgiveness, his life, his strength, and his meaning and purpose in life both now and throughout eternity. Christianity is described in Ephesians 4 as people who are there for each other. They're one with God and one with each other. They're prepared and matured by each other. They're held together by each other and they're built up by each other in spite of a culture that's intent on tearing them down. The issue really isn't about does God exist nearly as much as is why do you resist? Why do you resist the only reason for hope you have? Christ in you. If there's something you need to have us pray about, man, we want to give you that opportunity. If you don't know when or how, you know, grab me afterwards. We've got a prayer room over here to the side. Somebody will be happy to meet you there and, and, and pray with you there. If, if you need to be united with Christ in baptism, repenting of your sins and committing yourself to living the modeled life of Jesus, a life of faith in spite of the culture that falsely misunderstands what life of faith looks like, we'll be happy to help you with that as well and make arrangements for that to be your experience. We want you to have more faith so that you could live that faith in a culture that doesn't understand faith. And the only way they'll know that is because you've learned more about Jesus. You've experienced more of the love of Jesus. And you've committed yourself to living and looking like Jesus in your own life. That is the hope that we have in Christ. Let's stand together and encourage each other. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.